Well, good morning, everyone. Always a joy to bring the Word of God to God's people. Why don't we begin in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you have done. Help us, Lord, to trust you as we get in the book of James. Lord, just convict our hearts. Help us to see this example of living faith. And Lord, help us to examine our own hearts to see if we do have this living faith. Work in us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, a friend of mine recently got married. It was a great wedding. It was a joy to see a friend of mine marry a new friend of mine. We have that brother and sister relationship. Friendship is one of the best things we can experience in our life. But today, we're going to discuss a friendship that is greater, a friendship that includes unconditional love. This friendship isn't the type that backstabs you or talks behind your back. No, this friendship is beautiful. It's the friendship that God shows Abraham. After James described a dead and demonic faith, he will give us an example of a living faith, the living faith of Abraham, a friend of God. So you can turn to James chapter 2, verse 21. James chapter 2, verse 21. Last week, we learned about the dead faith that doesn't work issue with this type of faith is that it is deceiving. Those who think they are saved are not because their hearts haven't changed. James' illustration showed us how those with dead faith do not care for the needy. And we know that blessed doers are those that care for the needy when James said that true religion is to visit the orphans and widows in their distress. And so those with a dead faith are incomplete in their religion. They may no good doctrine, but they display in their actions that they do not truly believe. Their faith is more like the demons. It is fake, fearful, and foolish. What use is this kind of faith? None. It is completely useless, like a phone that doesn't connect to Wi-Fi that can call or text. This week, we will examine what a living faith looks like. We will mainly look at the life of Abraham to understand how real faith is active. We shall learn how Abraham was proven to be a person of faith and how his faith was perfected. We will also observe what makes him righteous, his relationship with God, and the result of a man's living faith. So let's begin by reading James chapter 2, verses 21 to 22. It says... Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. In these verses, I want us to briefly consider the start of Abraham's faith, the issue of justification by works, and reflect on the offering of Abraham's son Isaac. Also, be ready for our discussion slide on idolizing our family. I want to hear your thoughts about the balance between loving God and our family. All right, let's consider the first part of verse 21. It says, Was not Abraham our father? And so James continues to support his argument that faith without works is dead. So he gives an example of Abraham. But before we get to his point about Abraham, I think it would be good to refresh ourselves on the life of Abraham. James uses the person that the Jewish audience is most familiar with. And so we're introduced to a new character in the book of James, but he is not new to the people regarding this letter. 
The text states that Abraham is our father. Again, this is a Jewish audience. He would be the great-great-grandfather of them. But the idea in our text is that God began the Jewish faith with Abraham. Abraham, if you know Romans 4.11, was accepted as the spiritual father of all believers. After God confused the language of the whole earth and scattered them in Genesis 11, we observe in Genesis 12 that God addressed Abram. Notice the name. It's Abram, not Abraham. He was technically not a Jew until God changes his name. And if you know where he's from, uh, the heir of the Chaldeans, right? So he came from an idolatrous nation. But God was going to use him to bless the nations. Hebrews 11.8. Why don't you guys go there? We'll read from Hebrews 11.8 to 10. And it says here, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abraham did what God commanded him to do. God told him to go forth from his country, and he went forth. So what does living faith look like? Obedience to God. And we shall see in our text in James that Abraham obeys God's word in a more epic way. Let's continue here in James chapter 2, verse 21. Was not Abraham justified by works? We need to stop here and remember what we learned last week. Was Abraham justified by works? Yes, but was, what was a better word for justified so we don't confuse our terms? Yeah, vindicated. James is not talking about being justified in regards to salvation. We know that justification is by faith alone. The word for justified in this context is about showing evidence of a true saving faith. So to better understand this verse, we can say, was not Abraham vindicated by works? So let me remind you of these doctrines of justification and sanctification. Justification is the doctrine that teaches people of faith are pronounced not guilty before God because of the righteousness of Christ in them. Sanctification is the process that all justified believers begin when they are saved. And this means that they're growing in Christ-likeness. And the point that I'm trying to make is we need to be careful not to confuse the terms. So, yes, first we're saved or justified. Then we're going to display good works or we're going to be sanctified because of the faith that is now in us. And so we do not perform good works to obtain true faith. If we have true faith, we will already be performing good works. Abraham had faith in God, and this faith was demonstrated by his obedience to God. And James gives us an example of Abraham's obedience. He says, when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. Before James commanded the foolish man, and he said, Show me evidence of this faith. Here, James will give him evidence of Abraham's faith. And this is a great example because true faith will demonstrate itself in amazing ways. For Abraham to obey God's command to give up his son is one that would make many of us tremble. 
I'm not even going to ask who would be willing to obey this command. Rather, I want you to consider what Abraham was thinking during this test. And so why don't you go to Hebrews 11, uh, verse 17 here. Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered, here's the point, what is he thinking during this test? He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Now that's faith. Abraham believed that God could have raised his son from the dead. Abraham believes in God's word so much that he believed that God would do the impossible. He trusted God in the trial and does as he was commanded to do. And so God told him, uh, if you know Genesis 22, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I will tell you. And then if you read in Genesis 22, it says, then they came to the place of which God had told them. And what does Abraham do? He builds the altar, arranges the wood, bounds his son Isaac, laid him on the altar, on the top of the wood, and he stretches out his hand to take the knife to slay his son. Abraham was going to do as God commanded. And we know that God stops him before he finishes the job. We learn from this test that Abraham truly feared God. Not a demonic fear. This was a fear that was willing to obey God no matter what, no matter the calling. It's a fear that says God is first, second, third, and the rest of the list. God is everything for me. Paul would put it this way, to live is Christ, to die is gain in the book of Philippians. And so yes, Abraham loved Isaac, but he loved God so much more. Obeying his word was the focus of his heart, nothing else. Now before we move on to our discussion slide, I want to make two quick observations from this example of faith. The first one is about God's provision. If you read what Abraham tells Isaac during this time, that they're going up the mountain, you know, they're having a conversation. Isaac is saying, you know, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? Notice what Abraham uh, believes and what he says to Isaac. He says, God will provide. And what happens? God provides. After Abraham is told to stop, he sees a ram caught in the thickle of his horns and he goes and takes the ram, offers him up for a burnt offering. And I like this part in the place of his son. And so many people believe that this is the same mount that Jesus will be offered years later to take our place on the cross. And so God has surely provided when he gave his one and only son to die for our sins. The second observation we can make is that obedience brings blessings. God promises Abraham that he will greatly bless him for acting with faith. All believers who trust God in the trials are blessed. Remember James 1.12, right? That main verse I wanted you to memorize for this book. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So Abraham loved God. He demonstrated that love when his faith is put to the test. What are we willing to offer our God? A little piece of our hearts? Or everything. I want us to discuss this important topic, the idolatry of family. So what do you think? Do we put family before God? 
What are some ways we can do this? I want to hear from you. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, we need a proper balance of love for God and our neighbor. We are called to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. But do you see the difference? We love God first. And we're not called to love anyone more than him. We should be willing to do all that God commands us to do. Part of that is loving others. Let's be honest, sometimes we excuse idolatry in the name of love. We forget what Jesus commanded his disciples. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Of course, we know that Jesus is not saying that family is not important. Do you remember what Jesus does right before he dies? He tells John to take care of his mother. In Luke 14, Jesus wants his disciples to understand the meaning of following him. Jesus is asking for 100% allegiance. Will we follow Jesus no matter what, even if our parents told us to stop? Even if our family, our whole family disowns us? Even if great persecution and suffering comes our way? Following Jesus is free, but it will cost us maybe even our life. Are you willing to offer everything to God? That's evidence that you have living faith. All right, so go back to James. Uh, We're going to look at verse 22 again. It says, You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of works, faith was perfected. James again goes back to his main idea of faith working with works. Remember, we learned that faith and works cannot be separated. They go hand in hand. So I want you to think of a fruit basket. You're delivering it to your new neighbor. Okay? Imagine you gave them this fruit basket, but then your neighbor says, wait a minute, there's no fruit in here. What? That's a terrible gift. It doesn't make sense. So in this illustration um, that I'm trying to paint here is faith is the basket and works are the fruit. So in order for faith to be legit, it should be a faith with works. Now, I don't want us to think that faith and works are two equal partners. Because we know without faith, we can't do works, right? I mean, without that basket, you're not going to be able to deliver the fruit. uh, And it won't be a fruit basket. So I want us to understand that works support and sustain the fact that a faith is a living faith. In other words... Faith is the motivating power of works, and there can be no works of faith without faith, as there can be no fruit without the tree. We cannot say that the fruit of the tree cooperates with the tree, but we can say that the fruit helps us to know the nature of the tree. And so, after this illustration of Abraham, you know, offering up his son Isaac, James is saying this should settle it for the foolish man. Abraham's faith is proven to be true because of works. Remember, when he says offered up, that word there, it's in the active tense. And so Abraham's faith was at work when he offered up his son. And if you keep reading in verse 22, it says his faith was perfected by these works. And and what's the idea there? 
Abraham's faith was not mature until he acted upon it. This means that his faith was not made complete or brought to his intended goal until he had works. And so a true faith will result in works that glorify God. All right, any questions or comments before we move on to applications from these verses? Yeah. No, that's a good point. Mm. Good. So the first application is that a person with living faith is willing to obey God in difficult trials. Abraham was tested in his faith. So will we. Are we going to obey God or deny him? What is first in your heart? If it's not God, then you actually have a dead faith. The next application is a living faith is perfected by works. We can't say we have real faith if we have no evidence of works. Just like a tree has fruit, a believer has examples of obedience to God. Faith is not equal to works, but a real faith has works. They work together. They are a team. Faith is first, but it is not alone. Let's continue in our verses here in James 2. Look at verses uh, 23 to 24. Let's read it. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. So in these verses, we observe that we are saved by faith alone, and that we get to be a part of the greatest friendship there is. James will then address the fool again and remind him of how real faith is not alone. Although this may feel repetitive, this is what the fool needs to hear to understand the truth. And so look at verse 23. Here we have James quoting scripture. It says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so I want us to look at where he gets this. Go to Genesis 15. We're just going to look at verses 1 to 6 here. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And so here's the dilemma, right? He doesn't have any children. And so in verse 3, look how Abram continues. Since you have given me no offspring, one born in my house is my heir. And so he's trying to find um, a way to handle the issue, uh, not with God, right? Uh, by, um, by his own means. And, and that would be someone else from his family um, could continue the inheritance. But look what God says. And then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, and I really like this part, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Just think about how much stars there are. You know, some calculate way more than millions, way more than billions. And so God makes this promise. And what does Abraham do? Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned to him as righteousness. God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abraham prayed to God about his situation. God shows him the stars and how he will have many children. And, and I think 
uh, we get uh, the full picture here in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 11. So just listen to what it says. By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life. So she was old, she you know, was barren, and man, the situation, it's dark, right? It's, it's a doubtful, there's no way, right? But what does she do? She considered him faithful who had promised, and therefore there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as sand, which is by the seashore, right? Just think about all the sand on the seashore. Can't count that. And so that was the dilemma. This was the call to faith. They were both old, but what happens? Abraham believes God is in control. And so we observe again his faith in God. Abraham was childless, and he could have easily believed he will never have a son. Right? He did doubt at first. But instead, he puts his faith in God and what he promised, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so we know that Abraham was a believer at this point, but we don't see the evidence of his salvation until later when he is tested in Genesis 22 with the offering of his son. And so believer, yes, when you first believe, you're a Christian, you're saved, you're born again, yes. But we don't see the fruit of your salvation until later, until the trials come, right? You can easily be in a trial and say, well, this Christian life is too hard, forget it. And it shows that you weren't really a true believer. But if you are a true believer, remember James 1.12, you're going to persevere under trials. And so Abraham believed, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And there we have it. We're saved by faith alone, right? He believed, and he was considered as righteous. But we must never forget how we're considered righteous in God's sight. It's by humbling ourselves and going to him in repentance and faith. You know, Abraham thought one way, and then... Uh, there's that change of mind. He humbled himself and said, well, God says this, and he believes God. And so we see that Abraham here is not just reckoned as righteous. He has an everlasting relationship with God as a friend. And so Abraham is a friend of God, and so is anyone who believes in Jesus. Jesus said in John fifteen fourteen, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And Abraham did what God commanded. He had a real relationship with him. And we should be identified as a friend of God, not a friend of the world. James, in chapter 4, he's going to warn us later that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. And those who wish to be a friend of the world with all its sinful pleasures makes himself an enemy of God. And so people of real faith not only obey God, but they also flee sin. Like we said about the blessed doers, they care for the needy and they're clean from the world, right? They're unstained from the world. Second Chronicles 27 reminds us a beautiful promise about this friendship, that it is forever. And so our friendship with Christ started when we placed our faith in him, but it continues in the test of fire. And so think of it this way. If I told you I was your friend, but then I started to gossip behind your back, made rude jokes about you, what would you say? (laughs) Some friend. Yeah, you would think I'm not a real friend. Exactly. If we say we are friends to Jesus, but we are scared to tell others 
who we worship, what are we really saying? Jesus is our friend on Sundays, but the rest of the week, I don't know him. So listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 10, 32. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. And so faith in God doesn't just make us righteous. It makes us a friend of God. But I don't want you thinking that we make God our friend. Quite the contrary. God makes us his friend. It is a privilege to be welcomed into a relationship with God. And so don't forget who started the relationship between Abraham and God. It was God. He starts and sustains the relationship. All glory goes to him. So, as we continue in our text, what is the result of Abraham's faith? It says here he is justified. Remember, we mentioned that this is about his vindication. There's evidence of his faith. So look at verse 24. Our last verse, it says, You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And so i got to make a comment about this word, um, you see. It's different from the you see in verse 22. Not only is it uh, different uh, in the Greek word, but here in verse 24, it is an imperative. And so there's a shift from an indirect argument in verses 21 to 23, where he engaged in debate with the foolish man, to the direct appeal to his readers in verse 24. And so last time he was making a point with Abraham's example of faith. Here, he's telling them to understand this truth, right? You want to understand the main idea. Believe this. So yeah, it says see, um, but he's, he's basically telling them, understand this. And so what is it that we have to understand? That a man is justified or vindicated by works, and not by faith alone. And so it's not you have faith and I have works. It's I have faith that works. They're on the same team. You can't separate them. And yes, we know they're different, but they go together. And this is the result of Abraham's living faith. And this is the result of all who place their faith in Christ, that you will be people who do works for God. Commentator writes, This entire passage is about the fact that we are only saved by faith, but that this faith is more than just saying amen. Saving faith produces works. So while works do not save, those who are saved will naturally demonstrate good works. James is not arguing that works be added to faith, but that one possesses the right kind of faith, a faith that works. And I know, I've said it a million times by now, it's different. Uh, I've said it in so many different ways. But it is crucial for us to understand what a living faith is so we don't deceive ourselves with a dead faith. All right, any questions or comments um, about living faith? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, so... The next application is that a living faith is about a relationship with God as a friend. As friends, we will obey what Jesus tells us to do. And so, have you been obeying his command to love one another as yourself? Remember fulfilling the royal law? There is nothing better than being in a relationship with God 
but we must remember that he is the one that started the relationship. We should be grateful. The last application is that a living faith is vindicated by works, not just faith. And so the main idea has been repeated often so many ways. Remember, faith without works is dead. Faith without works is useless. Today we're reminded that faith works with works. And so may we never try to separate these friends. And do you see the evidence of your faith? How do you see it? Well, when you're tested, are you trusting in God's word or are you looking to the world to satisfy you? In conclusion, we learned about living faith. This faith is not dead. It is alive. Abraham was a good example for us. He was active in his obedience to God, even in a difficult test. We also learned that we are saved by faith alone. And that faith was given to us by God. He is the one that started this friendship. And he will keep this friendship going forever. Our faith is also perfected by works. God has prepared much works for us as we continue in this journey of faith. And so may we obey him and love those he puts on our path. Now we know a part of loving others is growing in friendship with them. It's not just about doing something for someone. It's about being their friend who, can, who they can be accountable with. And you know we can be someone they reach out to when they're in great need. And so Jesus says this. Greater love has no one than this. That one laid down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for us. His bride. Will we be willing to lay it down for others? Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you are a friend. Help us to remember this. Help us to do as you commanded us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.